Thanks, Heather. Lisa, you know, one of the things I love about that uh, announcement, so to speak, is that uh, we have a team that's leaning forward into the present of what's happening in our world today and trying to figure out how we press ourselves into the calling that God has given us in the middle of uh, all the chaos and disruption that we're facing. I just love that. Thank you. Uh, big shout out to our uh, team that has put that together. You know, one of the things that we've learned in the last few months and is how important getting together as a church is. And so we're continuing to look for those opportunities in which we can uh, safely and um, under the changing but current guidelines uh, gather together and do what the church does, which is to pray for one another. And, uh, you know, you're going to be hearing soon about on August 2nd, we're going to gather outside to worship together. And so we're, we're continue, continuing to respond to what's happening in our world today and trying not to react to it. And I hope that you'll, you'll join us in that. I just love that. And if you are, um, if you're new uh, and, you know, you're just kind of checking out who Sunridge is, I want you to know that we're a church that is engaged in what's happening today. And we, we really look forward to having conversations about that. We, we want to be relevant to what's happening and we want to talk about what God has to say about uh, why we're here and what he might be doing and how we can bring his kingdom here uh, now. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid. You know, we're, we're a church that we're not a fortress. We're not an army that's against everything. We're a hospital at Sunridge and none of us is well, but we're all turning to the great physician and, uh, you know, working toward becoming the person that God has called us to be and to reflect Christ in the world today. So we, we welcome your questions. If you're following in the chat right now, send us a question. If something comes up and you don't get it or um, you have questions about God, reach out to us. We'll respond to all of those, not just in the chat, but we'll follow up if, uh, if there's a resource or something that we can point you to. So anyway, uh, so, so great to be a part of a church that is doing uh, something that's important in the world today. You know, we are a uh, remembering culture. If you think about it, we celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and graduations. And I mean, gosh, I mean, every Little League season ends with memories and awards being handed out, you know, based on what happened during the season. Uh, we have museums and we have memorials and we study history at virtually every level of education because remembering is an important feature of every civilization. Sometimes, even in the present, we recognize that something is really important, and so we mark it, we, 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 we see that this thing that's happening now will be a part of the future, and so we're intentional about like setting a milestone around that or marking it. It's, it's like a modern day wedding, you know, if you've been to one lately, you know, they, we have, you have a photographer, now many photographers. There's also a videographer. Often there are cameras at the table and places for you to have comments and tell about your experience with the people there. We, we save mementos from the wedding. You know, we have like a flower or the dress or a bottle of wine that we served uh, and, you know, go back to these things to, so that we can remember them. And I think that's the spirit of what's happening in the text we're gonna look at today in Joshua 3 and 4. Um, 
the nation of Israel, led by Joshua, is they're going to pause as they prepare to enter the promised land because they see a significant event is about to occur. And if you're just joining us, we've, we're in part three of a four-part series that we've called Promised Land, which appropriately follows wilderness, and it's a 10,000-foot level look at uh, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness and came into the promised land. And I don't know about you, but I just have seen so many parallels, so many modern applications of their struggles and their victories and the challenges that they faced. And so we're trying to learn from them, as Paul said, these things are written down for examples to us. Because if we do it right, we do it right, so much promise awaits us. And if we do it wrong or poorly, then we're gonna miss so much. So far in Promised Land, we've seen that even after wandering in the wilderness, the nation of Israel comes to the, the border of the Promised Land, and it's harder than they thought it was gonna be. It wasn't a promised land, even though it was the promised land. And last week, Jed, talked about how, how easy it is to be distracted once we're even in the place that God has for us. And it's, it's tempting to follow other gods and of their day, certainly, and we have our own idols today as well. But today, where we drop into the story is that Moses has passed. He was their first leader as he led them out of Egypt and he is passed on and his leadership has been handed to his right hand man, Joshua. And as they arrive at the banks of uh, the Jordan River, uh, the children of Israel camp for a few days and Joshua informs them about how they're going to go into the land. They kind of get organized. And what they're gonna do is they are gonna carry the Ark of the Covenant in front of them. And here's a picture of it on the screen. This is actually the, the uh, Indiana Jones version, but it's remarkably uh, true to, to life. Uh, that Ark was a gold-covered wooden chest and it had, among other things in it, uh, the tablets upon which the Ten Commandments were written and other uh, representations of God. But it symbolically represented God's power in the nation of Israel and his presence, and it's carried by the, the priestly tribe of the Levites into battle, into, into significant events. It leads them symbolically as God is before us and we're following him. And then as we drop into the story in Joshua, as we start in Joshua 3, this is from the New Living Translation. It says, Joshua tells the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. In other words, something big is going to happen. And in verse 9, Joshua tells the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today, you will know that the living God is among you. And he will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. A lot of ites, right? A big problem with the ites in those days. And then he goes on to say, think of it. The Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. That's such, he's just, he's telling them something great is going to happen and God is going to lead us into this next thing. And when the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant step into the Jordan, 
the flow of the Jordan is stopped and the people walk across on dry land. And this must have elicited memories for them, for those that were still living as they did the same across the Red Sea. For these people, it's been a long, hard road. But this must feel like euphoric or they must be so elated in this moment to see kind of the the thing that they were dreaming of start to happen in a tangible way. And then in Joshua 4, beginning in verse 1, when all the people were safely across the river, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell the men to take 12 stones from where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan and pile them up at the place where you camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men and told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God, and each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes. So they take stones from the middle of the Jordan River where the priests stood holding the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God. And there's one from each tribe that participates in this activity. One of each of the 12 tribes carries a stone so that all participate. This is a national memory where everybody participates. They do this together. And what is it that they're remembering? In verse six continues, we will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean to you? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. There's a little footnote here that there's some controversy in, uh, among Bible scholars whether there might have been two memorials. One in the place that um, the children of Israel camp, but other versions of the Bible, it's kind of obscured in the NIV. Some versions of the Bible kind of translate this passage to also indicate that there was a hidden memorial that was left in the, in the middle of the Jordan. In Joshua 4, 9, again, I'm reading from the, N- the NLT, Joshua also built another memorial of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. So sometimes, you know, you, you should look that up, Google it, it's very easy to research it, and I'm not taking a position on either way, but... Um, you know, it strikes me that there are hidden memorials in our lives. There's, there are events and occurrences, significant things that happen to us, experiences that we have that we really can't talk about, that they're between us and God. That's just a footnote. You may have those kinds of memories, but this memorial, the one that we're talking about today, is the public one. And why is it important that the nation of Israel or the children of Israel mark this event? Well, I would say something that we've been repeating through this series, that the promised land was never really about the land. It was about living in covenant with the living God. See, something happened here. Yes, they walked across the Jordan on dry ground. But... It wasn't about the thing that had happened. You see, things happen and don't happen. 
When we celebrate a birthday, it's not about the cake and the presents. It's about the person. Unless you're six years old, it is about the cake and the presents. You see, it wasn't about the what. It was about the who. This is a consistent thing that we see coming forward through the nation of Israel, through God's people, and, in God, and I believe God's people today. Joshua 4.23, notice that, For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. So who did it? I think it's the who that's important here. For the Lord your God. If you're just sitting at home right now, just say out loud, the Lord my God. Personalize it, because that's true of each of us. There's a consistency with God, just as he did in the Red Sea. It's the same God. He is still with us. And yet that fact seems to be easily forgotten by all of us. And I think that that's what Joshua is marking and saying here. That it's easy to forget. So remember. That might sound super simple to you. You know, but... It's true. Isn't it true? Some of our reminders to remember are really wasted. This week in the email that I put out about um, the upcoming message, I, I noted Uncle Billy in It's a Wonderful Life where he tied these strings on his fingers to remember different things that he had to do, but he forgot to look at his finger, right? By the way, some of you guessed that uh, movie. You responded to me, but do you know like how much money he lost? Don't get all distracted. You're going to start Googling now. You can put that in the chat. What do you think it was? I'll give you a second. There are no prizes. It was $8,000. So if you got that correct, good for you. If you're answering it now, it doesn't really count, folks. See, sometimes we say things like, you know, remember this, and, and we're really just wasting our effort. Like, don't forget to be careful. Don't forget to be safe. Don't forget to say thank you to our children. Don't forget to change your underwear when you go to camp. The truth is that middle school boy is not going to change his underwear, and he's not going to brush his teeth all week at camp. So you just wasted that, and you know that. And I've been a, I was a youth pastor I know what junior high boys do all week at camp. Their teeth look like rainbow color by the end of the week because all they've eaten is trick cereal at each meal. I digress. You see, what Joshua says to them, and I think comes forward to us, is that you're going to have some hard times. You're going to have some challenges. You're going to be fearful. You're going to have anxieties. And you're going to have some ordinary times, just everyday lifetimes. And you're going to have some extraordinary moments in which you just feel like you're at the top of the world. But there's something in the middle of all that that you need to always remember. So you're going to have some amazing highs in your life. And probably you're going to have some shameful and embarrassing lows. 
but you need to remember something. You're gonna have a time when you own your own land, children of Israel, when you have a place that you possess that is your home, and you're gonna have to fight to get it, and you're gonna have to fight to keep it, and you're gonna lose pieces of it in the skirmish, and you're gonna gain it back, but eventually you're gonna lose it all, and you're gonna be displaced from that thing that meant so much to you, and you're gonna find yourself in a foreign land or in a desolate land that used to be home, and you'll get it back. But all through that, you need to remember something. And you know, as, I, as our staff and our elders and as we've kind of processed our little world here at the church, it's like church can meet, it can't meet. Kids are gonna go to school, they're not gonna go to school. My kid is doing good, my kid is struggling. My marriage is at like top shelf, enjoying every moment, and today we're fighting. We face all of these things but it isn't about the things. It's not about that. It's about something much bigger. And Joshua says to the children of Israel, I want these stones that you place to remind you of this. Whether you got to actually touch them and carry them, you were that person, or whether you just watched somebody do it, or whether you only heard about them, as told as stories later, you need to remember this because it's gonna be easy to forget some of these things, but they cannot be forgotten because they are so fundamental to those of us who call ourselves followers of the God of Israel, of Jesus Christ. One thing we need to remember is who God is. It's that simple. The stones are a reminder here, not just of the event, about, but about who God is. In Deuteronomy 8.2, Moses writes, Remember, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. And then in Deuteronomy 6.12, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Be careful that you don't forget. Remember. Why do we have to be careful? Be careful not to forget. It's like the law covers both sides of it. There's the, the command, the mandate to remember, to intentionally remember. And then there's the other side of the recognition of, of our humanity that says, don't forget because we will. How could they forget this moment? But they did. And so do we, often. It's easiest to me, I mean, to, in my thinking, it's easiest to forget God in the ordinary times. You see, hard times can make it hard to remember, but it's the easy times that make it easy to forget. I wrote that myself. You see, hard times, eventually we turn to God. And extraordinary times, eventually, we'll be grateful. But isn't it true that it's the ordinary life where we just kind of deflate? 
I think that's what Jesus was getting at in his story about the sower and the seed. And he notes in Luke 8.14 that the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. In that story, Jesus is talking about the scattering of seed, and it's not the quality of the seed that is the factor, it's the heart. And there's something about the human heart that just everyday life drones on, and we veer. And in farmer's terms, the seed would have grown, except that things grew up around it and choked it. Last week, Jed talked about idolatry and how, how easy it is for us to worship other things. Even if we're not bowing down to them, we, it, we're, we are idolaters in our flesh. But that idolatry always starts with forgetting the Lord, who God is. And then we replace him. It all starts with a simple memory loss. Because routine can be the enemy to passion. I love in Song of Solomon 2.15, it says it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. It's the little things. And, and over time, apathy sets in. The daily grind, life, and petty things start to become big. And over time, we become desiccated, dry, and brittle. And there's that beautiful picture in Ezekiel where God tells Ezekiel, preach to these dry bones. Sometimes, just everyday life dries us out to a point that it's like, it's almost like we're not even alive. We're just putting one foot in front of the other. And so Joshua sees in this moment a thing that, that could change that for them. And so that in the future when, when these people saw that rock pile or they heard the story, the people would know that where they are today in this moment, they did not get there on their own. The stones cry out. Jesus talked about that. The stones cried out that God did this. By his hand, we have forded this river, and it was by his power and faithfulness that we were able to accomplish this. But the message here is not make a memorial, make a big pile of rocks. It is about remembering God. Remembering will help you when nothing good is going on. Remembering will help you manage when life is extraordinary. Remembering will focus you when life is so-so. And if God is doing nothing now for you, you'll, re you'll remember what he has done for you. You know, they say confession is good for the soul. Would you be willing to say out loud or put in the chat, I forget? I forget. We do. Can I take a moment, Christian, 
to remind you that it's not whether we have to wear a mask or not today. It's not whether we can gather in this building as we did in days gone by. It doesn't, it's not whether my business is open today or not. It's not whether we feel helpless or whether we get to see that loved one like we used to. These are all very important things. But it's important also in that moment to not get sidetracked on those things, but to remember who God is because he's still on the throne and he still loves you and he loves me. And we can never allow ourselves to get over the fact that God loves us and to place our trust in him. The second thing we can't remember, one is who God is, and the second thing is why we're here. It's as simple as that, because we can think that this story is for us. It's ours to keep alone. This is my story. But as with all memorials, they're not just for a person. They are an opportunity, not just for the eyewitnesses that were there, but for future generations. See, it wasn't just for them, but it was to be shared. In Joshua 4.21, then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. I want you to see something that comes out of this text. Joshua tells them that in the future, your children will ask. They will ask. Then you can tell them. You see, there's some in that audience that, or, or at that time, it's like they're too young to remember. And Joshua is saying that there will be times in your life when this, there will be a moment where you can point to the thing that God did in your life, to your children. You can point to the reason why you do the things you do as a Christian mom or dad. Maybe your kids have asked you questions that I think every kid asks, like why do we go to church? Why, why do we do this thing? Why do we serve here? Why do we pray at dinner? Why is this this uh, kid's picture on our refrigerator from World Vision or Compassion International. And what I'm saying to you parents is like, Joshua is specifically talking to parents here and he's saying, tell your stories to your children. Tell them the stories, especially of God's provision for you. See, this is something that I don't think I did enough of as a parent. So you're learning from somebody who didn't do it perfectly. We, we often, like, when we think about discipling our children, it's about, like, giving them information and learning Bible verses and learning the stories of the Bible. Those are all part of it. But we also have to tell them our stories. We have to tell them of God's provision in our lives because especially if you, you will see a difference in the way you were raised if you were not raised in a Christian home and the way you're raising your children and there's a tremendous benefit to that. Your kids are not gonna experience some of the things that you had to experience, that I had to experience. Their life is gonna be different.
But uh, one of my uh, favorite Bible teachers uh, in the past, Bruce Wilkinson, he talks about how that there are generational patterns we see in the story of Judges, in the period of Judges. And that there are three kind of generations. There are those that knew God and his mighty works, and then the next generation knew God but didn't know his mighty works, and then the third generation doesn't know God. And I think that that's because we don't tell our kids our stories. We cannot forget, parent, that our mission field, our children are our mission field. Our grandchildren are our mission field. And even if you don't have grandchildren or children, you have children that God brings into your life and you have the opportunity to tell your story of who God is and how he provided for you. But this isn't just about family. I want you to see this, that there's another reason and a mission for this memorial, and it's in verse 24 of chapter four. He did this, that is this memorial, God did this thing for you, and we're memorializing it here, so that all the nations of the earth might know the power of the Lord. You see, again, it wasn't about the land. God chooses a person, Abram, and he chooses to show who he is through his life. And he says, I'll bless you, and nations will know me because of you. And then a nation forms, the Israelites, the nation of Israel, and God chooses them, not because they're extra special, but he chooses to shed his grace and his mercy on them so that they can demonstrate they are an example to the world of what a relationship with God is like and what people are like who walk in hand in hand with God. They're showing by their lives and the, and the way that they create community and a world and a, and a system of justice that this is what it's like to be in relationship with God. And Paul tells us in Galatians that those of us who name the name of Christ, we are the children of Abraham as well. That is, we have the same calling to demonstrate to the world and to show the power of the Lord. And Peter, in his first letter, rely, he relies on this imagery. He talks about that we are living stones, not just a pile of rocks. Some of us feel like a pile of rocks, but... 1 Peter 2, 3 says, Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You know, this imagery, as Peter writes to the first century church, has to capture every person who grew up in a Hebrew tradition because stones mean something to them. At that time, it had to be in their memory that we use stones as an instrument of capital punishment. That is what was going on as we see the early church emerge in Acts and Stephen is stoned by religious leaders. And so these rocks could be they could be blunt force to take life. But in this imagery that Peter's bringing forward and tying back to this point in the children of Israel's history, 
is that these stones are the opposite of that. That they are stacked as a memorial of who God is, not thrown at people in comparison or of moral superiority. The, these stones, our lives, are a, a milestone, a memorial to how God desires to have relationship with people and what that looks like. And oftentimes, we overcomplicate that and we think that we have to have every Bible answer to give testimony in the world. But really, is this is simple. It's telling people what God has done for you. Tell your story, just like you do your children, if you're a parent. We are called as living stones to tell the story of God's provision in our lives. The question is, and I go back to this, your children will ask, then you will tell them. Like, who's asking? Are we living a life in any way that, that warrants a question? Does it, do people ask us, tell me about your God? What is it about my life that stands as an invitation to ask? Do people know the power of the Lord because they see something in us and they ask what that is? I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as I was studying for this message, um, I started thinking about conversation peace. You've, you've heard that phrase before, conversation peace. And the history of that is that in the 1700s, it became popular in art and in painting to, not, to, to start to paint people who were in conversation, which had not been popular before, or people that were doing something as an event together. And over time, that way of painting morphed into what we understand a conversation piece to be about. Now it is, is something that is in a room or in your house or in your office that, that generates conversation. Like it might be a family portrait. You know, you took a picture of a season and time of your family and it's up there, you know. I call it the hall of shame, the Sipe hall of shame where all of our photos are. Um, if, you, if you come into my office, I have all kinds of conversation pieces. I have a little cross that's made out of copper wire and people will ask me about that. That is, that was sent to me by one of the chaplains that we used to support in the Middle East and it was made by soldiers uh, from a dismantled uh, bomb. I have a Miami Dolphins football signed by Nick Bonacani, who was a hero of mine because he was smaller and a linebacker, and I thought, well, I could be just like him. I could, I've told you stories about that before. I ended up being nothing like him and not really having the talent he had, but that, that football's in my office. It's a conversation piece, and we'll, people will ask about it, and also it was given to me by a son-in-law, so it holds a special place. You'll see different fire department mementos, part, uh, things from my history. I have a pool station which in the old days, uh, you didn't call 911, where if you saw a fire, you pulled, there were these 
mechanisms uh, throughout communities and you would pull it and then the fire department would respond to that location. They would know where it was by Paul. Like we all have these conversation pieces. And in essence, that's what Peter is saying about us being the living stones. That we are a conversation piece. That in order for that to be true, there must be something about us. And I would say that, that warrants interest, that invites conversation. And I would say that that comes from knowing who God is and living out His image in our world today. And when we do that, people ask, you are a conversation piece. You are a living stone. Now, I know that there are people that are watching today or listening, and you've never had a relationship with God, or maybe you did so long ago when you were a kid in Sunday school. Your parents made you go, or an aunt or an uncle. But you don't really have that sense that you're connected to God. Do you know that that is initiated in simple faith? And right where you're sitting, whether you're sitting in a car listening to this, whether you're at home, you can begin that relationship with God. You can initiate it by simply placing your faith in Christ and asking God to become a part of your life. If you do that, throw that in the chat. We would love to interact with you and talk to you about what that new faith means and answer your questions. If you've, you know, like, if in your heart you say, like, I would like to do that, but I have questions, put that in the chat as well. Because, again, as I said in the beginning, we are a church that looks at church like a hospital. And none of us are perfect. We're all trying to help people get, get one another get well by turning to the great physician, Jesus Christ. And we can help you do that. We won't bug you. We're not going to do weird stuff. We're just going to help you take the next step in your faith or get your questions answered. There are things that are important to remember. The most important thing to remember in the middle of this chaos and even when it gets better is that our God makes all the difference. I hope that you have those stories that you, you have stories of God providing for you. Share those with your friends and your coworkers and your family. Be a living stone. Now I'm gonna ask the worship team to sing. I've prattled along long enough, so let's, you guys just come up here and lead us out. The words of this song are so appropriate to wrap up this message. So whether you sing at home or just chill and listen to it, I invite you to check it out. Thanks, you guys.